Well, good morning, Fellowship family, and uh, all of you who are joining us this morning. Uh, I am grateful to be with you. My name is Jeff Patton. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and uh, excited to be with you, even in, as Kevin said, did you say weird times, something like this? No doubt, no doubt. So uh, turn with me, if you would, to Luke 15 as we continue to teach through the book of Luke, and we're in this section called The Road Less Traveled, Luke chapter 15. And uh, as we do, I want to take you back to Christmas Eve of 1998, and that's when uh, we lived in Cincinnati, and I had taken uh, Josh at that time, six and a half, seven, Jess, my second son was about five, and I had taken them to the mall to... Uh, to get some Christmas shopping, Christmas Eve. We were, we were the best Christmas Eve shoppers in America was one of our proclamations. And the mall was huge. It was packed shoulder to shoulder, as you can imagine. And I was holding one of the boys' hands, and they were holding their brother's hands, and we were walking through the mall. And I was saying, do not let go of my hands as we weaved in and out of stores. And as we walked in one particular store, I remember sort of parking them right there, and I said, don't move. I want to look at something. Don't move. And as I turned, I went and looked at something for maybe 15 or 20 seconds, and as I glanced around just to check on them, assuming they would be there, they were gone. And I'm talking about capital G-O-N-E, they were gone. And I looked around the store frantically, and I thought, where in the world are they? And their blonde hair, they had like, like yellow blonde hair. You could see it a mile away, could see nothing. And I went in that store and I started grabbing people by the arm. Have you seen, have you seen two blonde-headed boys, five and seven? Nobody said anything. I went in and out of about eight stores and I was literally doing this. Hey, hey, stop everybody. I need your attention. My boys are missing. Five and seven, blonde hair, bowl cuts. Yeah, they had bowl cuts back in the day. And have you seen them? And literally not one person responded to me. They just stared at me. It was so frustrating. And I'd run to another store next door and ask, have you seen? I'm looking. Have you seen security? I started to say, I need security. And finally, <laughs> I got in touch with security. I explained to her. I said, ma'am, my boys are missing. They were right here. She immediately got on the radio. She shut the whole mall down. She said, lock the doors. Gave you the description of the two boys, five and seven, blonde hair, <clears throat> yellow blonde hair, bold cuts. Lock the doors. Don't let anyone out. I was traumatized. I was thinking yesterday, talking to Jenna. I remember thinking in my head, the horrors of what might be happening to my boys in a bathroom stall at this moment. I was nauseated, nearly dry heaving, weak as water, anxiety flowing through me. And as I followed this security guard, she said, follow me down where I didn't know where it was going. And it, it, and it could have been three minutes, could have been 10 minutes. I have no idea, but I'm right on her. And I hear over her radio the words, we found them. <sighs> and I said, she said, where? And I heard the voice back on the radio loud said, they were down at Santa Claus. Yeah, that's my sons. 
They had gone down to Santa Claus and to find Santa Claus. And so we began, I began following her, and we were jogging in the mall, weaving in and out of people. And we got there, and there they were right before me with a security guard. And I remember just, just running toward them and falling on my knees and sobbing as I squeezed them so tight. And they were, they were looking at me like, they were trying to tell me, Dad, we found Santa Claus. And I just, part of me wanted to kill him. And part of me obviously was so glad we found them. Yeah. I was traumatized that day as I bent down and squeezed them tight and wept. I, I'll never forget feeling the top of my head being rubbed gently. And as I looked up, there was an older African-American woman with tears running down her face, saying over and over, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And she massaged my old head. Mm. I finally asked the boys, I think I asked Jess, I said, Jess, why did y'all leave? And he said, Josh wanted to see Santa. <laughs> And then I think Josh argued back, no, you were the one that wanted to see Santa. I'll tell you what, there was great joy in my heart. My sons were lost, but now they were found. Me seeking and searching for my sons at all costs was, was as normal as breathing. It, it's what a father does. It's what a mother does. Our text this morning, though, has these same kind of powerful themes Precious things that are lost, the seeking and searching for these things, great joy when they are found, and in that Luke 15, reveals for us the very heart of God the Father for us as individuals, as people. So if you're at home, read with me Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he, Jesus, told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house? And seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Luke 15. I think it captures the central message of Christianity. It sets forth with great clarity the whole heart of the Bible, the heart of the gospel, and yes, the very heart of God himself towards people. This is 
if you took a survey, at least being the top 10 of one of the most loved chapters in all the Bible. We, we love this chapter, I think, because it's, it's stories. There's three parables here. There's a parable of the lost sheep. There's a parable of the lost coin. There's a parable of the lost son. We'll deal with the first two this morning. Monty, next week, we'll deal with the parable of the lost son. So we love these stories, but, but let's be clear. Jesus did not tell these stories, and Luke did not record these stories, just so you and I could have some kind of nice spiritual, religious feelings. Jesus tells, and Luke records these stories in response to something that is happening in the first two verses of chapter 15. That, that verse 3 through 32, all that Jesus tells in those three parables is a response to something happening very particular in verses 1 and 2. So let's look at those first. And I put in your notes there the crowd and the complaint. Read with me again verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawn near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumble, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. <clears throat> I want you to notice, if you have your Bibles open, you can go back to the very last verse of chapter 14, where it says, Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then immediately in Luke 15, 1, Luke informs us that there has been a change in the audience that is gathering around Jesus. It's no longer curious Jews. It is an audience filled, he said, with tax collectors and sinners. And Luke lets us know that this new audience filled with sinners and tax collectors is actually doing just what Jesus has said do. They are gathering around him and they are listening to him. They are hearing him. Now let's define, if we could, these two terms, tax collector and sinner. Tax collectors were Jewish men who in some ways had contracted with Rome to take taxes from the Jewish people and that while doing so, they were putting money on the side for themselves. It, it was, they were the sort of the, the middleman of a corrupt system of the Jews being under the government of Rome at the time. Matter of fact, they were so despised that the local Jewish synagogues would not even take money from them if they tried to give it. So they were hated. They were despised by the Jews. They were dishonest. And then you had sinner. What, it's, a, it's a general term in our culture, but biblically speaking, a sinner uh, were looked at by that society as reprobates. They led lives of sin and they, they not only led lives of sin, but they celebrated their lives of sin. If you go back to Luke chapter 5, we see that Jesus, there was a, the, a sinner woman, a woman who was called a sinner, was washing his feet. And, and the people had said that the people in town knew that she was a sinner, meaning they knew she was a prostitute. So it was, they were flagrant, immoral people. They had despicable reputations. So it is this crowd that has now started to follow Jesus. It was, it was the lowest of the low that Jesus was attracting to himself. And it says Jesus is actually eating with them. Jesus is fellowshipping with them. He's having intimate conversations with them. I would assume 
He is respecting them as a person while not disobeying God and his word to do what they do. He had gently gained the trust of Israel's social outcasts without once compromising obedience to God. And I just want to pause there for a minute. Look, that's a gift. That's a gift you and I bring to the world as Christ followers. And some of us can't do that because we're not mature enough yet. But as we grow in Christ, one of our goals ought to be is to rub shoulders with and mix it up with blatant sinners and yet not do what they do and not celebrate what they do to to build friendships and relationships. I remember a particular friend of mine, uh, Dr. Eric Tonis now, he's a systematic theology professor at Biola, but when we were in school together, uh, I remember him saying, hey, uh, I can't do something tonight because I got to play flag football. I said, play flag football? He was a college football player, and I thought, I'm not playing flag football. I'm too old. My knees are bad. But he was a wide receiver, so he didn't hit a lot. You know, he was, he was uh, still fresh. And I said, where are you playing? He was going downtown to Chicago in the park, playing with a group of just pagan, heathen guys once a week, every week, to, to mix it up with those people who didn't know Christ. So great point there. Verse 2 tells us the Pharisees and scribes, the religious leaders of the day, are also there with the tax collectors and sinners. And they have this, I would call it a gotcha mindset. They are disgusted with Jesus' interactions with the tax collectors and the sinners. And it says that they begin to grumble, to complain, to mutter. It was interesting this week that I looked up the Greek word for grumble. Phonetically, it sounds like this, gone goodzo, gone goodzo. Now say that slowly and say it in a low voice, and this is what it sounds like. Gone goodzo, gone goodzo. Makes sense, doesn't it? They're grumbling. Look at him, hanging with tax collectors and sinners. How could Jesus have table fellowship with such people, they were thinking? Literally, the text tells us that they were saying, this man Jesus receives and eats with sinners. When I saw that this week, I thought, what great news for the sinner to read this text. And see that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, fully God and fully man, that one of the things that is true of him is that he receives and eats with sinners. What a hopeful word to those who love to sin. Matter of fact, one of Jesus' 134 names given to us in Scripture is a friend of sinners. It was given to him by his enemies, the Pharisees and the scribes, and yet Jesus embraced it and repeated it in Matthew chapter 11. So here's the scene. The tax collectors and sinners stood on one side, and they yelled, hypocrites, and the religious leaders stood on the other side and yelled back, unworthy. So there was a face-off here. They, they didn't like each other. 
these two crowds now that were following Jesus. And the answer Jesus gives to the Pharisees and scribes' complaint is just awesome. He gets right to the heart of the matter when he tells these three parables. And we're going to look at the first two this morning. He gives an answer to the question of, what are you doing eating and being with and fellowshipping with tax collectors and sinners? So his first answer is he tells this famous parable, the parable of the lost sheep, verses 3 through 7. So he told them a parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has not, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on the shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who have no repentance. All these parables in chapter 15 tells us that everyone that does not know, not know God in Christ is lost. It, it's sort of how the Bible describes to us people who are not saved, people who don't know Christ. Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 2 when he says, You were once separated from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. And so the metaphor that Jesus is using here for us in the parable of the lost sheep for spiritual lostness is a shepherd who has a hundred total sheep and he loses one of them. The lost sheep receives then special attention over those that are safe and sound. A lost sheep in the Judean wilderness or really anywhere is without hope. They're doomed. It, it has no protection and only a short time before predators or wild animals would kill them and devour them. They have no way to, to protect themselves whatsoever. One of the few animals that don't. Jesus is saying we as people are like sheep, spiritually speaking, without hope. We're doomed. And, and, and really, when, when the Bible and when Jesus calls us as people collectively sheep, it, it's a spiritual insult. But it's true. It's just true. A sheep is a dumb animal. Did a little sheep research this week. Google sheep if you want to. A sheep is a dumb animal. It, it loses direction continually. And even if you had a sheep and found it, it wouldn't follow you back home. You would literally have to tie its legs together or break its legs, put it on your shoulder, and walk it back home. Look, I've had dogs that have left. Growing up on 502 Chestnut Street in Selma, North Carolina, the dogs would get out of the pen. My daddy said, boy, go find them dogs. Uh, one was named Queenie and... I don't even want to tell you the other name. You'd be laughing so hard you couldn't get through the sermon. But I named them. They were my dogs, a German shepherd, mutt, and a, and a bird dog. And these dogs would get out, and I would start walking the neighborhood, hollering, woo, here, Queenie, here, so-and-so. And you know what? I'd find them, and I'd say, yeah, get home. Let's go. And they would just follow me on the way home. Sheep won't do that. They're not like dogs. Reminds me of Isaiah's words. We, like sheep, have all gone astray. We've all lost our own way. That's the picture of a sheep. 
We like sheep need to be rescued. In my other sheep research this week, I read that where there are a lot of sheep in the mountain areas, a sheep has no discernment. A sheep will literally see green grass. He will go climb the mountain as best he can, eat all the green grass, and he will climb places that when he gets through eating the grass, he literally physically is unable to get down. And if you're riding in the countryside, people have seen their sheep, and they just watch the sheep fall off the cliff to their death. That's how sheep operate. Jesus is saying, every time I welcome sinners and eat with them, I am like a shepherd that leaves the healthy sheep and goes after the lost sheep. It takes great effort for a shepherd to do that. It takes great time for a shepherd to do that. It is a costly searching. He is putting his own life in danger, going into the wilderness nonstop, searching and seeking, and nothing else matters to that shepherd until that one sheep is found. It is a metaphor, but it is a true metaphor that the great shepherd of our souls loves and seeks and finds his sheep. Matter of fact, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible is Luke 19.10. And it really gives us the purpose of why Jesus came to earth. Jesus said himself, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. And this is a beautiful story, a beautiful parable, a beautiful metaphor of just that. And then verse 5 tells us, and when he finds it, the sheep, he says there's great rejoicing. So much unrestrained joy that he doesn't tell another soul. No. <laughs> it's just the opposite. Look at verse 6. He calls his neighbors and friends. In our day, we would text them or tweet it or put it on Facebook. If you're old, you may pick up the phone. If you're young, you would do it in social media. But he gets in touch with his neighbors and friends and he says, you rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Take note of that. Don't miss that. The shepherd does not rejoice privately. He calls his friends and neighbors to rejoice with him. The finding of a sheep that was lost is to be a community joy. It is to be a community experience. It is to be a community celebration. The whole community celebrates in the finding of that lost sheep. A church that loves Jesus, knows Jesus, they celebrate together when a lost sinner places their faith in Christ. There's nothing greater. Here's what's amazing is Jesus wants to build a community of faith, and we call that the church. He wants to build a community of faith or the church with the best and the brightest. I hope you notice my sarcasm. <laughs> it's just the opposite. He is trying to build a community of faith with who? With sinners. It's sort of like when I was in elementary school. I was fairly athletic, and so I would be chosen as a captain by the teacher to pick the teams. And it would be like me picking the slowest and the most unathletic people first. It would make no sense. It would be inverted upside down of what would be the norm 
in terms of building a good team. But Jesus, he really does that throughout the scripture. Most of what he teaches is inverted or upside down of what is normal. And here he does it again. Tim Keller describes this community, this, this community of faith. I love it when he says that the community of faith of the church is a group of individuals grafted in the body through an intense common experience. A more intense experience that transcends anything else that could possibly bond people together. Things like race, politics, economics, education, hobbies, etc. So a biblical community is lost sinners who have been rescued by the great shepherd. Lost sinners who were dead in their sins and now raised to new life. It literally... When a person comes to Christ, is a life and death experience. It literally, when all people come to Christ, they experience this death to life experience. And when they experience it, they come together and that community or that connection transcends everything else in their life. It's, it's amazing how that happens. Maybe you've done some traveling. I have and as I get into a conversation with a person, I may be on the plane and we're doing a little chit-chat. And in the midst of the first few minutes, I find out that this person is actually a Christ follower. And immediately there's a bond between us that transcends every other thought and potential identity that we may have. Nothing else like it. And then in verse 7, here Jesus wants the Pharisees to get it. So I think he speaks a truth here that literally makes the minds of the Pharisees' minds, makes their minds explode. If there was a meme here, we would see their mind exploding, kaboom. He says, when I welcome sinners, it's just not about what you are seeing here at this house as I eat a meal with them. Yes, that's a good thing. But it's not the ultimate thing that's happening here. What is happening in this room as I welcome sinners is the makeup of heaven is literally being affected. Jesus is telling the uh, sinners, I mean the Pharisees and the scribes, when I eat with sinners and tax collectors, God is actually throwing a party in heaven through me. Jesus is saying through my presence with these sinners and tax collectors, God is at work he is finding lost people and bringing them into fellowship with him through me. The God of heaven and earth in whom all angels bow down and worship is saving people and leading all of heaven in a party as a result of me welcoming sinners and tax collectors. Now, now when, when he's saying that, that, that's what they're hearing when he quotes or he says verse 7. Mind-blowing to them. Who does he think he is? All oh, the Pharisees and scribes. Jesus says to them, hear ye, hear ye. Through me, God has come into the world to search for lost sinners. Apostle Paul puts it another way in 2 Corinthians 5, 19. Just the first part of that verse when he says, That is in Christ. God was reconciling 
word reconcile means that you were once enemies, now you become friends because of the initiative of God through Christ. The word that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Jesus is saying, I am the long outreaching arm of God. Matter of fact, this week, or last week in a conversation with Joel, speaking of someone that we knew who had lived and was living and, and uh, man, and celebrating in their sinfulness. We'd heard news, good gossip, that there was an interest from them about Christ. And I looked at Joel and I said, no one is ever sinful enough to be outside of the long arm of the grace of the living God. No one. We need to pray for that person. Jesus is saying, I'm the long outreaching arm of God and some of these folks belong to God and God seeks them and finds them in me. The care of God of the universe for very specific individuals that God is reconciling the world to himself, but he's doing it one sinful person at a time. Here's something I think we need to get this morning. I want to go back to the verse I just read from 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20. So I read this a while ago. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. But I didn't read the rest of the verse. Listen to what the rest of it says. And in light of him doing that, he is entrusting to us those who have been found by Christ, those who were sinful and the grace of God and long arm of God came searching and finding and rescuing us lost sheep doomed for eternal hell. He's entrusting us now who have been rescued to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we, we who have been found are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. Out of our own sinfulness and our own saving through the mercy and seeking and searching of the great shepherd, God now returns that back and he makes us those seeking and searching shepherds. It's a glorious job description. It's an incredible reversal, not only of our eternal destiny, but our mission and purpose here on earth. That not only does Jesus come to seek and save that which was lost, but those who he seeks and saves are also to be here to seek and save others that are lost. Mm. Powerful stuff. So we have the parable of the lost sheep. Now we have the parable of the lost coin, verses 8 through 10. So, so here's what happens here. Same story, but the metaphor changes. It is a silver coin that has been lost. The amount of that coin is equal to uh, about a day's wage in their time, in terms of a worker in Israel. And notice the woman proceeds on a deliberate and determined search. She quits everything she is doing to search for the lost coin. She gets up, she lights a lamp, 
she grabs her broom and she begins to fiercely sweep the floor, hoping to hear the clang of that silver corn against something. She goes to great lengths, Jesus tells us, to find that lost coin, that one lost coin. She has nine, but now she, she does everything to find the one that was lost. The woman's joy when she finds it is the same joy of the shepherd who finds the lost sheep. Notice, too, what she does. She doesn't keep it private. She calls up her lady friends, and she says, Rejoice with me. I have lost my coin, and now I have found it. Once again, the great theme of joy rings loud and clear. When you have ten verses in the Bible, and five of them mention joy, it tells you, and as we read the Bible, that's probably the main idea of that passage. Great joy in finding valuable lost things. And now, Jesus says, the angels themselves, not only all of heaven, but very particularly the angels, are throwing a party in heaven over one sinner who repents. I thought about that. I thought, here we have heaven, and here's, well, we don't know everything about heaven, but one of the things we do know, it is an environment of what? Of pure joy. Think about it. And Jesus says here, in that environment of pure joy, more joy happens, more joy, when a lost sinner comes to faith in Christ. In some ways, the air that we breathe, that people breathe in heaven, is an air of joy. But Jesus says here, when a lost sinner comes to Christ, when what was lost was found, either by the shepherd losing the sheep and finding it, or by the woman who loses the corn and finding it, Jesus tells me that joy ramps up. That's amazing. It, like, like, if you want to know, heaven is just pure joy, but then it goes to another level when a lost sinner comes to faith in Christ. If there's anything that tells us what is the heart of God toward people, it is that. Their great joy in heaven and of the angels when lost people come to Christ. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, joy is the serious business of heaven. No doubt it is. The angels are rejoicing because God is glorified by the searching, seeking, and finding of lost sinners through His Son. The angels are rejoicing because they know the terrors of hell that would overtake lost sinners were it not for God's redeeming grace. The angels are rejoicing because they know the great joy of living eternally in God's presence like they know it personally after being rescued by the good shepherd. And they are rejoicing because they know that not one lost sheep, that's the metaphor, and not one lost corn, that's the metaphor, that is found by the Son will ever be lost again. This is one of the texts that Charles Spurgeon used to make a point and to argue for eternal security that once saved, always saved. When that lost shepherd finds that lost sheep, when that woman finds that lost coin, and they're really found, and heaven rejoices, they place their trust in Christ, that sheep, that coin, i.e. that person, will never be lost 
again. I think Jesus told these parables to convey an idea of value, of what God treasures. He treasures the repentance of lost sinners. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. But He's patient toward you and I, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I'm amazed here that in two short stories, Jesus brings a message of hope to the most sinful people on the earth, that God cares for them, is searching for them, and that they can run to him. In two short stories, Jesus shows us what the model follower of his looks like, that they also are to seek and save that which is lost, that they also are to be on a search for lost sinners and to speak the gospel to them, that they also are to mix it up, if you would, with lost folks. Like, like Jesus didn't live in this separation mentality. He was be in the world, but not of it, as John 15 says. That Jesus' most valuable work is also our most valuable work. That we're always to be looking for the lost sheep and the lost coins. And that our evangelism is really grounded in joy, the joy of finding, the joy of someone trusting Christ. That's what motivates us. In two short stories, Jesus warns, and as a church, we need to get this, he warns those who know him of an attitude that will destroy you spiritually, will destroy me spiritually. And, and just for all transparency, Look, I was as lost as could be, came to Christ, and, and I'm telling you, at times I can go way over here in terms of I can actually be a Pharisee and a scribe, and I tend to live in both worlds at the same time. But it's this attitude that you are righteous and have nothing to repent over, and you're condescending towards sinners, to those that refuse to both see and admit their sin and need. There are implications for a person with this attitude. Here's the warning. With this mindset, to the person who's always grumbling and sort of pointing his finger out there at all the people. They're idiots. Look at them. You actually can be saved and think like this. And if you are saved and think like this, I promise you this, there's not much joy in you. And there's not a lot of joy being around you. Jesus warns of that in two very short stories. So what this morning? This powerful text here this morning. Jesus is the love of God, seeking and finding what belongs to God. Jesus is the heart of God. Jesus is the arm of God reaching out. He is the crook of the shepherd's staff in the wilderness. He is the shoulders of God where the sheep gets carried on and carried home. He is the lamp in the woman's house. He is the broom that hits the bristles in the dirt, sweeping frantically for a lost coin. And this meal that he is having in our text with the tax collectors and sinners is nothing in comparison to the meal that he will have at the great wedding feast in all of eternity, with those who are found by him.
you know, I thought my heart as a father and that story that I shared at the beginning, look, nothing special in me. It's just the heart of a father, a sinful, imperfect, flawed father that, that just goes searching after his son. So there was, there was nothing that could have stopped me. I, I literally was like the guy in the movie Taken when he was trying to find his daughter. I was laser focused and come heck or high water, I was going to find my sons. I thought about that and I thought, here we have a perfect, holy God the Father who comes after us with such intensity, with such passion, with such care. Oh my, can we trust Him? It is, it is, it is the joy that I felt that Christmas Eve is only a glimpse, a small little bit of the joy of the heart of God when a sinner places their trust in Christ, when the sinner is found by the great shepherd, when the wandering sheep is found by the shepherd, when the lost corn is found by the woman. The joy is not in comparison. So I ask you three questions this morning. Are you lost? If you are, run to Christ and repent. He's so tender with sinners who say, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. That's why he came. Second question, are you a Pharisee? Are you condescending? You look down. You, In some ways, you either forget what you once were or you're just unaware of how you view others. With no empathy, no grace, but by the grace of God, me isn't a phrase that you use very often. So if you're a Pharisee, the message from this text this morning is, you need the Savior just like a sinner does. Not in terms of salvation, maybe, but in terms of intimacy in your relationship with Him. Run to Christ. That's the message. And then thirdly, are you both? <laughs> are you a sinner? Yes. Even though I may be saved, I sin. And are you a Pharisee? It seems like both at the same time, at least both in the same week or month. The message this morning is you too are to run to Christ. Take a minute and ask the question, so what? And apply it very specifically to you. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning. For those of us who know you, we, we're so grateful for these two stories, these two parables that in some ways show us what happened 
when you saved us. We were lost sheep. You're the shepherd that found us and brought us to yourself and brought us safely home. We were the lost coin. And you were the woman who put everything aside and your one focus was to to find us and bring us back to yourself. And then there was great joy. There, there are parties being thrown all, not only here on earth, but when people come to Christ, but in heaven. So grateful for your kindness to us in Christ, not wishing any to perish. Lord, help us to live that out. Where we live, work, and play. Help us to mix it up with the sinners and tax collectors of our day, knowing but by the grace of God, there go me. We love you. Grateful for your word. Thankful for the great mission and purpose you've given each of our lives as a follower of you to seek and to save that which is lost. We ask that in Christ's name. Everyone said, amen.